Evan composed the song. He actually ordered a big banner that that had a beach scene on it, and then uh, a flooring that looks like sand. Wow. And he put on this shirt, Hawaiian-style shirt. He got a, a professional musician there on the drum, and wow, and he sang. And he had, during the song, it had many, many, many verses. <laughs> He kept asking her to be his wife, and, and, but he wouldn't let her answer because he had another verse. And then the next verse, will you be my wife, and he wouldn't let her answer because he had another verse. And the crowd was getting restless because we wanted her to answer. Thank God after that many verses she did say yes. But we're thrilled for you guys. We're really, really excited. Um, one of the things that had made Evan a bit nervous, and the rest of us nervous, is, is we were looking at our phones yesterday, this huge line of thunderstorms was moving through from Pennsylvania, and as I left uh, where I live in Pleasantville, I could see it pouring in Chappaqua, and Roberto said it was pouring in Yonkers, and God just made the clouds literally go around the pavilion in Fort Chester. You see, there are challenges in life, but challenges actually can be viewed as opportunities. Life will always have problems, but wouldn't it be nice if rather than viewing our problems as problems, we viewed our problems as opportunities? And that's what we're going to see today in 2 Corinthians is that there was a problem, but Paul didn't see it as a problem. He, it, he saw it as an opportunity to call the church to a higher maturity. Paul's writing the letter to the Second Corinthians about 55 A.D., about 20 years into his ministry. He has started all these churches, all kinds of churches, in the Mediterranean world, in Gentile lands, he wrote 1 Corinthians about a year before 2 Corinthians. Church in Corinthians, Church in Corinth rather, had some problems going on in the church. And Paul addressed those, but he saw them also as opportunities. And in 2 Corinthians, he actually is complimenting them on how much they changed as a church and grown. The church in Corinth had weaknesses, but they had strengths. Faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness. And what Paul's going to do here is he's going to take those strengths and he's going to appeal to the church in Corinth to work on their weaknesses through their strengths. And he's going to bring a concept that many of us have forgotten. It's an Old Testament concept that even the Jews in the days of Jesus have forgotten. And quite often we forget as well. That's the concept of the grace of giving. And what Old Testament sacrifice really meant. So let's get into this. We're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read it fairly slowly. And stop and comment on it. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. Now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This letter Paul's writing to Corinth, but he's referring to the churches in Macedonia. Now, Corinth was 
in southern Greece, fairly near Athens, south and west of Athens. But the churches of Macedonia, Macedonia was an area in Greece much farther north and slightly to the east. So if you can picture Greece, Corinth and Athens are down here, and Macedonia, the region of Macedonia is up here. And if you go much further, then you get over to Constantinople, over on that end. But he's commenting on these churches in Macedonia and saying that God has given them so much grace in the church. This is good news. That God can actually give grace to churches. Not just to people, but God can literally give grace to churches. And here's the evidence in verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So who is he talking about? The churches of Macedonia. And he's saying that they were in extreme poverty. But despite the poverty, what did they have that really changed them? The poverty was just a fact. That, that was the problem. But what did they have that really changed them? They had overflowing joy. So what happened was, despite the fact that they were poor, very poor, extreme poverty. And when Paul is saying extreme poverty in the first century, what do you think that means? Yeah, starving. Something we have never known, and probably will never know. And so what did their extreme poverty create in them? They had an overwhelming joy that welled up in what? Rich generosity. Doesn't that seem like a contradiction? That if they're in extreme poverty, how would they even be able to be generous in a way that Paul would say rich generosity? You see, it's all God's grace. It's all the evidence of God's grace. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how bad life gets, if we can have an overwhelming joy in our life, no matter how bad the circumstances are, you know what it produces? Grace. Grace is not just getting forgiven from God. Grace is a power in our lives to give back to God. Grace is amazing. It is an incredible power that can only come from God. And as Paul's saying, the way the Macedonian churches tapped into it was they didn't look at their circumstances as problems. Instead, they looked at their circumstances as opportunities to be generous. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's mind-blowing to me. If I were starving to death, the last thing in the world I'd be thinking about is how I can give to others. I'd only be thinking about me. How can I get my next meal? But that is mature Christianity. Mature Christianity is you're looking at your problems no matter how bad they are and say, what can I give to others? How can I serve others? And people around you are probably like, oh, why don't you start with your problems? <laughs> and Grace says, I don't have problems. I just have opportunities. Who can I serve? Verse 3 goes on. It says, For I can testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond 
their ability. Wow. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. Wow. That is God's grace in action right there. They didn't give just what they were able to give. They gave way beyond their ability. Probably Paul was a little alarmed at it and probably didn't even want them to give. And of course, what he's referring to is the special contribution that was taken up in the Mediterranean world to send to the disciples in Jerusalem that were really going through a hard time because there was a famine going on in Israel at that time. And so there was a special contribution being taken up by the churches. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and wants the Corinthian church to give. I guess they were a little reluctant to give even though they had the means. And so Paul is actually talking about these other churches in Macedonia, in Greece, in northern Greece, and saying, wow! It says they were pleading to give. In fact, it says they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing. What does privilege mean? Privilege is a special right or an advantage. When you're a privileged person, generally we think of that person as having what? A privileged person. Money, prestige, power, clout, all that stuff. What were they pleading for? The privilege of giving. How did they view privilege? They view privilege as, if I can give, I'm privileged. Wow! In extreme poverty, they wanted to give so badly, they were pleading urgently, and they saw it as a privilege. That calls me higher. When was the last time I urgently pleaded to give a lot and considered it a privilege? That is mind-changing. And verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. Wow, how, how impressive is that? To impress Paul, that would take a lot to impress an apostle with your giving, wouldn't it? But Paul was impressed by what they did. He says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to the will of God. By the will of God, also to us. So they were very spiritual about their priorities. They put God first, but they just gave. They wanted to give. They were urgent to give. Verse 6, so we urged Titus, just as he had made, had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. So who is he talking to now? He cited the Corinthian churches, and did you catch that? Why would he send Titus to the Corinthian church? I like how he words it. It's, I don't want to say politically correct, because that sounds really, really bad. But I like how he worded it. He's saying, we urge Titus just as he, he had earlier made the beginning, to also bring to completion this act of grace on your part. What's he expecting out of the Corinthian church? The same thing the Macedonian churches did. Yep. To give generously. And I like how he words it. We urge please go help them in this act of grace. Do you notice one word missing? Sacrifice. The word sacrifice is missing. Even denial is missing. Because as Paul saw, giving was all about grace. It was all about God and what God gives us. Verse 7. 
But since you excel in everything, and here he's going to appeal to their strengths, you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. How did Paul feel about the church in Corinth? He felt great about the church in Corinth. Look at what he's saying about them. You excel in all these things. You excel in faith. How many churches did he say that about? You excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, in love. What was the thing about 1 Corinthians, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church a year earlier? He had some pretty strong critiques about the church. Now what is he saying about the church? They've really changed. They've really grown in their faith, and they've grown in their speech and knowledge and earnestness and the love. Did you catch that thing? And the love we have kindled in you? Did you catch that little lie? The love, where did they get the love? Yeah, by the way, the love you have is actually something that uh, we gave you. He's appealing to them to give back out of what they've been, been given. He's impressed with their strength, but he's calling them to excel in something new. He's calling them to excel in this grace of giving. Grace is not just what we get from God, it's the result of what we get from God. It's the giving that we give back. And historically, most people view giving as sacrifice. That's how most people view a contribution. Let's sacrifice for the special contribution. Isn't that, isn't that true? Historically, isn't that sort of where we've been? We view sacrifice as something that is hard to do, that we have to really deny ourselves to do. And in fact, contribution, we viewed it as a sacrifice. But you know, it was never intended to be that way. In Judaism, it was so different. The Hebrew word for sacrifice is from the same root word as to come near or to approach. That's the Hebrew word. But there isn't a good Greek word that goes along with that Hebrew word, and there certainly isn't a good English word. We're really in trouble. No English word can adequately, adequately translate the idea in Hebrew to English. And so we have this word sacrifice that most of us view rather negatively, but it was never intended to be that way. One Jewish scholar talking about this word said that the word really means to become closely involved in a relationship with God. The temple sacrifice, the temple sacrificial system, was all about drawing near to God, coming close to God. It wasn't about what we had to give up. It wasn't about how hard it was to sacrifice that lamb or, or our favorite goat. It was all about drawing near to God. I want to draw near to God. I want to give my best to draw near to God, to approach the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to give my absolute best because I'm in front of God. That's what this Hebrew scholar is talking about. He says that the word sacrifice in Hebrew, actually that's not the word, but when we read out the sacrifice, in Hebrew, it's used exclusively by the Bible in the context of man's relationship with God. In other words, every time you read that word sacrifice, it's all about relationship with God. Not about what we have to give up, not about how hard it is to do something, but it's all about relationship. I don't know about you, but that, that, that's amazing. That's just amazing to me. He goes on to say, the temple sacrifice 
is not the idea of giving up something or losing something of value. It means striving for nearness with God. So I looked up. Well, how often would Paul then tell the church to sacrifice? Because that's what we do a lot. And I looked it up, and Paul only commanded the church to sacrifice one time. Do you remember? Can you think of what scripture it was? It was in Romans. Only one time did Paul command the church to sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's the only time Paul commanded anyone to sacrifice. The whole rest of the time, including here in 2 Corinthians, it's all about a deeper relationship with God. It's all about calling people to get closer to the Creator of the universe. Drawing close to God through our giving. And he doesn't just say giving. What does he say? The grace of giving. Because true giving is from grace. It's not from reluctance or a heavy heart. It's from joy it's from expectation, and it's from love of God. When we mature as a disciple, we view any giving as simply an expression of grace, serving and giving back to God and showing God what kind of a relationship we want with Him. Wow. That's impressive. Verse 8. He says, I'm not commanding you. Of course, what is he talking about? He's talking about this special contribution. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Is it wise to compare? In fact, two chapters later, Paul says, it is not wise to compare yourself with other people. But what is Paul doing here? He's saying, I want to compare. I want to compare where you guys are at in Corinth with what I see in Macedonia. What I see in the churches in Macedonia is amazing. Out of their extreme poverty, they earnestly pleaded with us to give. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave a lot. It was incredible. And so I'm writing to you, Corinth, to say, hey, uh, what about you guys? He feels fine about the comparison. He's called, because he's calling them to a deeper maturity in Christ. That's what he's doing. Listen, God can create money out of anything. God doesn't need money. He, he, he can make money fall down from heaven. When we're commanded to give, when we're encouraged, when we're inspired to give, it's all about relationship with God. It's all about drawing near to Jesus. He goes on to say, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Of course, the prime example to compare our lives to always is Jesus. Always. So giving is simply a natural extension of being like Jesus. Because Jesus gave out of his poverty. Jesus gave everything for us. And so we want to be like Jesus, deep down in our hearts. That's who we really want to be. We want to become just like Jesus. The same attitude, the same heart, the same giving, the same grace. 
And so Paul is actually calling us. He's not calling the church to sacrifice. He's calling the church to become like Jesus. To just make giving a natural extension of who you are as a disciple of Jesus. And you know, when you understand grace, you don't give to be accepted. You give because you have been accepted. When you don't understand grace, you give to impress God. Or others, that's worse. But when you understand grace, it's, you don't give to impress God. You don't give to get anything. You give as a reflection of your relationship with God. So he goes on to verse 10. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. Again, did you get what Paul's accomplishing there? In a really nice way, he's saying, you know, you need to walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, you did it last year, and you were willing last year, so I'm just sending Titus to make sure that you have the opportunity to do it this year. I mean, Paul is shrewd, actually, but it's all encouraging. All, do you get... Do you get the impression that this is something difficult? Uh, to me, it's all about inspiration. It's all about, think of how we can get close to God. How we can become like Jesus. How we can inspire another church. Aren't you inspired by what the churches in Macedonia have done? And we are. I think all of us are. The grace that God gave them, that they were in extreme poverty, and yet they were able to give. Wow, that's amazing. So it's the verse 11. Now finish the work. So that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Do not go into debt to give. That's basically what Paul is saying. Don't go take your credit card and take out a cash advance to give the special missions contribution. That's not what Paul is asking you to do. He's not saying to give what you don't have. He's actually, but he is asking us to give from what we do have. That's basically what he's saying. To have a willing heart, eager willingness is what he's looking for. And really, the most important number, I mean, we have a goal, our special contribution, we have a goal of at least $365 per member. That's what our goal has been for the last five years. But that's not the most important number. The most important number of all is the number that you have decided in your heart to give. As Paul said earlier, he goes, decide in your heart what to give. And then give that. And so what we're thinking about our special contribution next week, the most important number is the number you've been praying about. That's the number to go for. It's not somebody else's number. The number to really think about and meditate on and pray about and feel great about is the number you yourself have decided in your heart to give. Verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. So again, Paul's not looking to make you hard-pressed. But that there might be equality. We're helping people in other churches. We're helping spread the gospel. Haiti is a desperately poor place. 
I believe I've heard, and maybe Lala knows the answer to this, I've heard it's the poorest place in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we support Haiti with our contribution. We're not going to bring them up to the American standard. That's not the idea. But we do want to support them. We want the gospel spread in a powerful way in Haiti. And as we heard on the video, most people in the ministry are working full-time jobs at the same time that they're serving in the ministry. So he says, at the present time, in verse 14, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. He ends with a promise from the Old Testament. Did you catch that promise? Remember when the Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years? How did God feed them? With manna. What happened if you went out and gathered too much manna? Because he who gathered much ended up with not too much. What happened if people were so had such a difficult time gathering manna that they could only gather a little when they brought it into their house. And they probably were so worried that they maybe they were handicapped and they couldn't bring enough manna into the house. What what happened to that manna? All of a sudden, God made it the exact same amount as the guy that went out and gathered too much. God's ending, is, Paul is ending this exhortion, exhortation, with a promise that you'll never have too little. You'll never have too little. Even if you go through extreme poverty, God's going to figure out a way to make it not too little. That's the promise. Let's end with a promise in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You know, most of us will never be able to move overseas and serve as a missionary. But we can all support God's work and support those who are laboring in Africa and the Caribbean through this special contribution we give next week. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. It says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And it is true that you never know what can happen when you give. Paul is calling us back to an ancient concept that's been forgotten. That our giving is a sacrifice. Something difficult, or a hardship, or something we really have to white knuckle it through. Oh man, special contribution. But he's calling us to remember that Hebrew concept. That it's drawing near to God, out of, out of joy overflowing in our heart. To express back to God that gratitude and that grace that we've been given. That it's not just God who gives grace. We too can give grace through our giving and our serving and our love. I just want to show a video, a quick video before we end, and then after the video, we'll have a quick prayer. This video is about what our giving can do, even when we don't know what's going on, or we don't realize anything's even happening. You've just listened to the Westchester Podcast. 
For more information about our ministry, please visit westchester.nycococ.net.